0: Well, I'm very glad to be with you all today. Um, we had a long day today. Uh, my wife was like, since I'm not on the payroll, I'm gonna go chill. Uh, so, <laughs> so she's here, but she gives greetings. Um, also just wanna, real thankful, um, Kenny uh, Wallace who just led worship here. Um, he and my wife, we all went to college together in Richmond, Virginia. So the likelihood that we would uh, I mean, it was like literally, uh, we were talking through and Kenny sends me a text and says, hey, so what are you um, uh, preaching on uh, in Canada? And I was like, what? You're going to be there? So it was just really, uh, really sweet to be able to do ministry together. And I'm just thankful for the invitation to be here. Now, a common question that we get often is, uh, what does the word Erebon mean? Erban, uh can you say the word Erebon? All right, and I got to warm you up too. So, all right, let me explain this to you. So, I come from an African-American preaching context. So, preaching is not a monologue, it's a dialogue. And so, that means that, you know, you get feedback whenever uh, somebody talks we go back and forth. And uh, this actually helps the sermons to be a lot shorter. So, I just want to encourage you to uh, uh, speak. So, say the word Erebon. All right, and the word Erebon means a foretaste of things to come. It means like, uh, uh, like in, the, in the Greek word in, in, the New, in the New Testament, that the Holy Spirit was given to the church as an erabon, as a foretaste of what heaven is like. Now, here's the thing. The world doesn't get the Holy Spirit. What the world gets is the church. And so whether they, uh, uh, um, they it's kind of a try before you by policy. And so what happens is, is that people get a chance to see you and you say, hey, do you want to follow Jesus and go to heaven? And they basically say, well, uh, you know, I might might not like you or your friends. And so I don't know if I want to go or not. But really, what people ought to do is say, hey, there's something unique that's going on in that church community. And I want to get that because I don't know how to get that out there. And I want to get a foretaste of that. And that's what heaven is going to be like. That's what we're going to have. And in heaven, we see that every tribe, every tongue, every language is uh, coming together. We see there's streets of gold. So the value of money is so uh, plethora. And and people have so much, and there are uh, so much equity that's going on that there's streets of gold. So this is what we need to do is have a foretaste of uh, of what it's like. So when you become a part of Christian community, uh, um, being poor doesn't matter because you're part of spiritual family. That's what we try to do in our ministry is to kind of help people practically in the ministry of reconciliation. Now, I was at this um, conference one time and there was the speaker um, was, uh, uh, decided to open up the session with this exercise where he had men and women separate and uh, they had to punctuate uh, this uh, group of words. And here was the group of words. A woman without her man is nothing. A woman without her man is nothing. And so one guy, you know, he just raised his hand and said, that's really easy. I know how to punctuate it. Just put a period on the end. A woman without her man is nothing, period. Now, there was another guy that was a little more woke than this other guy. And he said, whoa, whoa, whoa. A woman without her man is nothing, period. That's not the way that you punctuate that. You do a woman without her man is nothing, question mark. And say, a woman without a man is nothing? And so then it became time for the women to punctuate this group of words. And they did this, a woman without her man is nothing. Now, here's the point. Depending on what your perspective is Depends on how you're going to organize those groups of words. And that is also true of how we view the scriptures. Depending on our our perspective, we view and emphasize certain types of things and see things in certain ways. And when you look at the Bible, you see that the good news starts off that the world was created good and beautiful and whole. And then there was a fall and... God started the work of redemption and it came to a climax through Jesus. And so we had fall, creation, fall, redemption. And then it just doesn't end there, it comes to restoration. Now here's the challenge, in most of our sermons and most of our liturgies, all we talk about is fall and redemption. We only emphasize a small part of the good news story. But it's really important that what's messed up in the world today isn't what's been messed up the whole time. It's important that we do have a story that creation was good and that was beautiful. Can I get an amen on that? It's a good news, it's a great story that the fact that we just don't have to be stuck in the time that stuff is messed up today, but eventually at some point, Christ is redeeming all things, reconciling all things and restoring all things. Can I get an amen? So creation, fall, redemption and restoration is the good news story. And one of the things that we can see in Revelation 7, um, and when all things come together and they're restored, we see that every tribe and every tongue and every language is together worshiping Jesus. So we oftentimes talk about having a diverse community. And I, I, here in Toronto, and, I, and this is, I came to Toronto about 20 years ago for the first time, and I noticed it was a very diverse city. There were a lot of different people, and I saw a lot of different um, interracial couples, and it just wasn't a big deal at all. It was very different than where I grew up in Richmond um, in the South. Well, you know, you do have diverse couples, but for the most part, everybody kind of sticks to their own. Well, here in Toronto, it's a diverse community, and even I see this church is an a intergenerational church and an intercultural church. Is that true? But this is the thing that's really important to understand. Diversity doesn't guarantee reconciliation. What diversity guarantees is conflict. The more different people that you bring together, the more differences that you have, the more conflict is gonna emerge. And this is one of the things that uh, um, I hear in kind of like in Canadian culture is that you know you celebrate diversity but you oftentimes don't like to deal with conflict. Is that true? But see, every community may or may not be a diverse community, but every Christian community ought to be a reconciling community. See, we got to go beyond celebration. But we, uh, when we are Christians, we know that the world is broken. We don't have to wonder about that. Our scriptures tell us only three chapters into our book that the world is broken. And it doesn't say that we should ignore it. It means that we should join Christ in the ministry of reconciliation. And there's a difference between peacekeeping and peacemaking. Peacemaking means that you're going to have to engage in some conflict and try to take some things that are broken and bring it together. So we need some guidance on how to practically engage in this and what to do. And that's where Acts 2 comes in handy. It says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and to breaking the bread into prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to Just basically come upon three things that I would like to share with you today um, that we can get out of this text. That the believers in this community were faithful fanatics, they were fearless freedom fighters, and they were focused family members. Can you repeat that with me? They were faithful fanatics, they were fearless freedom fighters, and they were focused family members. All right, one more time. Faithful fanatics. fearless freedom fighters, fighters. and focused family members. members. Now, I hear in Canada that people are faithful fanatics of hockey. In America, it's football, but for you all, it's hockey. And and there are some people that uh, orient their life about making sure that they can watch the games or attend the games or play the sports because they are faithful fanatics of hockey. Now everybody isn't into sports. Some people like TV shows. And I hear that there are some people that are faithful fanatics of this TV show called Gilmore Girls. Now like, (laughs) they talk way too fast on that show for me. I can't deal with it. (laughs) But I remember like last year or year before last, like there uh, there was like a reunion of the Gilmore Girls. And there were people like, oh, this is the, the Gilmore Girls about to come back in Netflix and I'm gonna have to uh, make sure I get my girlfriends together and we gotta find out what Rory has been up to. Now, everybody's not the Gilmore Girls? There's some people that orient their life around a particular show uh, called the Game of Thrones. Now I'm a Christian so I don't watch this show but, <laughs> but there are some people that are like, David, you really, like, it's a really bad show. I don't recommend watching the show before you preach, but like, it's really good. And they orient their life around watching the Game of Thrones because they're faithful fanatics. Here's my question What do Christians in Canada are known for? What are you known for? being a fanatic of. One of the things that I hear about Canadians is that Canadians oftentimes define themselves by not being Americans. I don't know if that's true or not, but I hear that. And I know in America, one thing I have to confess is that we are known for being faithful fanatics of conservative politics. But I really, really wish that we were known as being faithful fanatics of Jesus. And see, there's something fundamentally wrong when you are a Christian and people don't know that you are faithful fanatics of Jesus. When there are things that are going on that we're just nominal, just like everybody else that is a part of our culture, and people don't know that we're faithful fanatics of Jesus. And how do you know if you're a faithful fanatic of Jesus? It says that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and the breaking of bread and prayer. And everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. See, we got to be uh, um, people that are known for prayer life. People that are known for engaging in scripture. People are known for for fasting and and charity. And there is something that is happening because Jesus made a change in our life. Can I get an amen if you believe that that's what the Bible says? We have to be faithful fanatics of Jesus. And when you become a faithful fanatic Jesus, you become a fearless freedom fighter. It's just that all the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. And here's the thing. It's important for us not to project our 21st century context into what was going on in the first century. See, you know, today that if you have enough money and you own a house and you decide you want to... Uh, uh, um, sell your house, you could sell your house whoever you want. If you have enough money, you can buy a house. And you could trade and buy and sell as many houses as you want to. That's the way it works in America. I hear that's how it works in Canada. And that's how uh, uh, things work today. But it didn't work that way in the, 20, in, in the first century. See, if you had property in the first century, that means that you had uh, the hookup with the Roman government. That means that your family was really, really wealthy. And so basically, for somebody to sell their house is almost like selling and emptying out their bank account for their retirement plan. That was like their place of safety net. That was their place of security. That was a place of good standing. And what these brothers and sisters did, because they engaged in a, 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 a love for Jesus and they saw one another as family members, they said, Hey, if I have a, a house or a piece of property or an insurance policy or a a, a retirement fund that means that I don't have to work for uh, um, months and years because I just have that much wealth, that what I'm going to do when I see a brother or sister that is in need, I'm going to empty that out so that we can all have what we need to be equitable. See, that's radical following Jesus. See, we live in a day and time where women don't get paid as much as men. And that happens in church. We live in a time where minorities uh, do a lot of the work but don't get the same kind of benefits. We live in a time where we operate, and this is unfortunate, that happens even in the church, where we operate by what we call the golden rule. He or she that has the gold makes all the rules. You'll get that on the way home. But like... What's happening that we see in this particular text, that these brothers and sisters were fearless freedom fighters that weren't concerned about their own well-being in a way. They felt like, oh, Jesus died on the cross? This is the least that I could do is to sell all that I have so that I can be a blessing to my brothers and sisters. You know, Joy and I, my wife, we um, had a very interesting invitation one time. It's so a we good friend of ours that uh, uh, we go to church together and we live in the same neighborhood together and we live in a neighborhood where there's a high population of under-resourced African-Americans. And this woman is a white woman who uh, comes from a very wealthy family. Her grandfather is like very, very wealthy. And because she is somebody's granddaughter that is very wealthy, um, just over the years, she has had an accumulation of $250,000, a quarter of a million dollars. Just because she is somebody's granddaughter, uh, and she was just reading this text in Acts two and four, and really pressing into the ministry of reconciliation, and she says, you know, I got two sons, and my, my 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 husband's a doctor, but I see that this scripture says that, like, in order to really engage in the ministry of reconciliation, and what does it look like to really be family? What I want to do is like, hey, let's go down to my family's plantation in South Carolina and let's pray about starting a family foundation that empowers other African-American people that's in our community. And I want to give my inheritance and my children's inheritance so that we can um, bring some equity. And uh, um, what I want you all to do, kind of like how uh, she invited myself and um, two other uh, couples who are African American and she said like just like we emptied out the, the they sold their properties and gave it to the apostles feet to be able to distribute it I want you to figure out how we can start a, a family trust or a family foundation so that we could do the same thing for this community that is a radical Jesus story see when people see and hear more things like that that sounds very different than anything that's going on outside of those four walls of this church and only people that are faithful fanatics of Jesus and are fearless freedom fighters will engage in this type of narrative. But I think that the name of Jesus will be glorified in this narrative. So they were only just, uh, they were only just fanatic, uh, uh, faithful fanatics of Jesus or fearless freedom fighters. They were focused family members. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. See, in order to understand the context of this text, it's important for you to understand what Pentecost is all about. In order to understand what Pentecost is all about, you got to go back to Acts 1. So Acts 1 was this story. You got to remember, Jesus um, died and he was resurrected, and he spent about 50 days with his disciples. Now Jesus came into a context where he was under the oppression of the Roman government, and he was with a people group called the Jewish people who were under the oppression of the Roman government. And the disciples were asking this question. They said, Hey, uh, Jesus, like We've been waiting for a Messiah. We realize that you're the Messiah, but you're not just only doing a spiritual deliverance. You're the Messiah who's supposed to do a political deliverance. The disciples are supposed to do an economic deliverance. The disciples are supposed to do a sociological deliverance because uh, um, we've been under this occupation for a really, really long time. And so they asked Jesus the question Jesus, when are you going to make Israel great again? See, so you all, this stuff isn't new under the sun. We always are people that want to find out uh, um, how can we put our own nation's interests in mind or our own people's interests in mind and, and just forget about everybody else. And so the disciples asked Jesus that honest human question. And Jesus said, you know what? Your thing is too small. You have no idea what you're asking for. This is what I'm going to do. You just go to Jerusalem and you pray. And I am going to give you the power of the Holy Spirit so that you will receive it in both Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the other remote parts of the world. And so they were there praying. And then about 120 of them that were from all these different nations, they were from all these different countries. And the writer Luke was actually kind of given a little like eye wink, a little kind of motif to a reference that's going all the way back to Genesis 10. And in Genesis 10, there's this thing called the Table of Nations, where if you look at Genesis 10 and Acts 2, you see the same group of nations, like people from Asia, people from Africa, people from the Arab uh, countries, from Europe. And you see where the kind of the known world of Genesis 10 and the known world of Acts 2, um, they were all named and mentioned. And what happens in Genesis 11 is this thing called the Tower of Babel, where there were all these nations that came together and they spoke the same language. And then what they did, they said, hey, let's take our creativity to glorify ourselves and kind of like be like God. And what God did was like, hey, with unity, they could do anything possible. So let's go and see what they're doing and confuse their language. So we're going to separate these different languages and they're going to scatter out the rest of the world. So then what God did in Acts 2 was he gathered the rest of the world together from every different tribe and language. And what he uh, did was he gave them the miracle of being able to speak their own language and yet understand one another. See, brothers and sisters, what you got to understand with the miracle of Pentecost isn't the fact that we can speak in tongues or that gifts are for today, but it's the fact that you can have unity and diversity instead of unity through assimilation. That means that people don't have to assimilate within a dominant culture in order to be heard when they're part of the Christian community. It means that women don't have to act like men in order to be heard. I thought I would at least got some amens from some women, but maybe I could get a couple of woke guys to say amen. Uh, It means that minorities don't have to assimilate within a dominant culture. It means that poor people uh, aren't ignored because they're poor. And rich people aren't listened to because they can give a bigger donation. Unity and diversity instead of unity and assimilation. And what's really fascinating is because you have a group of people who are poor, a group of people who aren't a part of the privileged part of society, that people who have been uh, silenced actually get a voice. And people understand for the glory of God. Brothers and sisters, this is what the birth of the church was about. This is what's normative to have the different nations and to have unity and diversity to have people with different socioeconomic backgrounds to have unity and diversity to have men and women in the same space. And yet they can have unity and diversity and the glory of God can be manifested tangibly in a way that isn't done outside the four walls of the church. This is what our sacred text tells us. I know this day and time, we live in a town where there's a lot of nationalism going on. America does a lot of things really big and really fast and, and it's ridiculous right now. I gotta be honest about that. But it's not this, I hear there's thing's going on in Canada. I hear things going on in India. I know that we had Brexit. But what's the role of the church in this space? Sometimes you can get a little discouraged. And I love this t-shirt that I have. It says, I am my ancestors wildest dreams. This shirt right here is a shirt of faith. I um, had the great honor one time of um, being a person that gave words at a dedication of a slave cemetery. And I was It was just such a profound time because it was an unmarked slave cemetery and a friend of mine um, found out that um, it was overgrown and people tried to act like there wasn't slavery in that county. And so what he did was he, you know, had some archeologists look to figure this out. They realized there was a slave cemetery and what he did was give people a proper burial. And I remember kind of being at a podium like this on the outside. And, Behind me was uh, uh, some brothers and sisters that were in the grave. And a lot of these folks came to faith in a time where they were introduced to Jesus through their slave masters. The same person that gave them the N-word was the same person that gave them Jesus. And somehow they miraculously, uh, uh, instead of getting that oppressive Jesus, they got the, 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 the sacrificial servant Jesus. And they got, instead of getting that one that was a master's Jesus, somehow they got the Jesus that was unfairly executed and that was oppressed similar to them. And these brothers and sisters had faith. And they would sometimes, at the end of a long working day, they would uh, uh, get a kettle and they would pray into the kettle so that they uh, could not be heard from the masters because if they were gathering together, worshiping Jesus, they would get persecuted. They would get lashes for freely worshiping Jesus. And while I was standing on this podium, I was reminded of myself that I get a chance to make a living through ideas. I get a chance to fly on planes and go to speaking places like Toronto or LA or Chicago or wherever the case may be. I was one time holding my grandmother's hands and she grew up in an era where men had rough hands and she said, baby, you never did any hard labor in your life, have you? <laughs> I was reminded of myself that how much of my faith is so conditional and how these brothers and sisters faith was unconditional, not for only their generation, but for the generations to come. So when we see these things in scriptures, we have to be people, that have faith, not even just for what our lifetime is, but for the generations to come so that Jesus can be manifested and not only within our generation and, but also for the generations to come. I am my ancestors' wildest dreams because somebody had faith. So folks oftentimes ask me, David, when, when, when reconciliation is happening, how, how do you know what's happening? And this is my last story. Um, I had a friend of mine around the same time that Kenny and I and Joy were at GCU as freshmen, uh, first year, second year students. I had a friend of mine named Chris Lee who was African American young man from um, Virginia. And he was an artist, he loved Jesus, and we both were doing church in the urban inner city uh, context. So we had a lot of common, we used to hang out together. Now, school wasn't working out too well for Chris. And so Chris decided to go into the military. And while he was in the military, he met this beautiful woman by the name of Kim Lee, well Kim. And Kim um, was a Korean immigrant, came when she was about 10 years old to the United States. And uh, um, they did one of those, like, fall in love really quickly, and within three to six months, they decided to get married. And so Kim uh, decided to write a letter back to her family, said, hey, I met this really great guy. His name is Chris Lee. And we are in love. We're going to get married, and they were so happy. That he was like, he was going to marry a Lee, and said, so, oh, he's going to marry a Lee. Can you send us a picture? So they send him a picture, and they're like, he's no Lee, he's no Lee. And you find out that they actually have two different definitions of what Lee is. You find out that they got to figure out, like, oh, you know, I was thinking this, but you were thinking that. And really in that, there's no like moral right or wrong in that particular context. And there wasn't even a particular uh, emotional attachment to this. But as they got to know each other, they had different cultures and these, of course these cultures began to conflict. And they got to decide on what kind of household they are gonna have? Are we gonna have a dominant Korean household? Are we gonna have a dominant African American household? Or are we gonna like learn to lean in, to love one another and to work through our conflicts? When you go over the house, you see a hybrid of Korean culture and African-American culture. And this is what it's like to be the church. It's like, you gotta work through these things. You gotta try to understand and it gets discouraging sometimes. But remember that we can have faith, not only for our time, but for the generations that are to come. And here's the fruit of their reconciliation. They got three really beautiful girls. So what is the point of my sermon? It's to make some babies. (laughs) You don't really know what the fruit of reconciliation is going to look like. You don't have control of it. It's not going to look always like how you want it to look at. But the ultimate point of this is that we need to make some babies that are glorifying God. God wants to do some things to us, not only for our sake and not only for our children's sake, but for the world's sake. First in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the other most parts of the world. I want to pray for us. Would you open your hands up to kind of receive a blessing of the Holy Spirit? Lord, I just thank you for the invitation to come here and to proclaim your word to my brothers and sisters here at Knox Presbyterian in Toronto. Lord, this city is a multicultural city, but I don't know if this city is a reconciling city. And it's not even the job of the city to be a reconciling city. It's the job of the church to be engaged in the ministry of reconciliation. So Lord, I pray that my brothers and sisters will, one, be faithful fanatics of Jesus. That they won't be known for being nominal Canadians or nominal Christians or a nominal church, but they will be known for being faithful fanatics of Jesus, I pray that you would make them feel as freedom fighters, people who aren't just only concerned about the preservation of their own stuff but radically showing hospitality to their spiritual family, particularly those who are weak and vulnerable and thirdly, Lord, I pray that they will be focused family members that will engage in the miracle of Pentecost where they know how to do unity and diversity instead of unity through assimilation. I pray for fruitfulness in this church. This is a very uh, uh, old church and um, churches go through ups and downs and different life cycles. And I do pray for a revival, Lord. I pray that people would really, really fall in love with Jesus and out of that fall in love with one another and they would love their neighbor as themselves. Help them to break through some of the cultural challenges of uh, being, uh, 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 not really dealing with conflict straight on, but they would really engage on the ministry of reconciliation. We thank you for this time. Be with us in the rest of the service. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.